got a woman way over town that's good to me. Hello and welcome to Third Degree Burn. I'm your guest host, Kirk Greenfield, and I'm joined by two other hosts. On my left is Brian Hughes. Hey, how's it going? And next to him, we have Tim. Hello. Tim <laughs> this always goes so smoothly, Tim <laughs> Elliott. Okay, and we're here to discuss a rather unusual uh, premiere issue of a four-part series that John Byrne did. We've been kicking this around for a couple of months now and have decided that maybe we'll take advantage of uh, the pandemic and the opportunity to talk right now about Babe, a very unusual, somewhat uh, shocking series that isn't all that shocking, but it is pure John Byrne. So uh, we're going to discuss this. If you don't already have it, I can recommend that you go online and uh, there's a free comic reading site, comicsonlinefree.com that you can uh, scare it up. You can find it in other locations as well. Also want to caution you, if you do that, do not open up the free comics online that ends in .to, as the site will plant cookies and viruses on your computer. So avoid .to on the end what is if you take that route. I don't know, but it's infectious. Don't go there. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I, I, now that I have offended whoever that business interest is, uh, <laughs> let's take a look at uh, this. I have the heavy lifting uh, today, so I guess I'm going to plunge right in here, unless either of you have anything else to start with. Okay. Uh, no, no. I, w- I would just say you can find also, which I discovered uh, late, late last night, that it's on Comicsology. If you have the Danger Unlimited trade, it's in the back of that. So I didn't realize that until I started looking at it. <laughs> Is it yep. just the first issue, or is it all four? It's all the four first. issues, and I think the two uh, the two issues from Babe too. So it's all of the issues. Okay, yeah, the six total. Series. Yeah, good source. Before we okay. get into the book, though, I I, d- I did want to bring up. Uh, you know, I, I I hope you guys have been staying on the X Men Elsewhere train, and seeing where we've gotten to up to today because the the the. the the Phoenix storyline is really taking a huge turn right now. And we're learning things about uh, Jean, Lalandra, uh, and virtually all the X-Men as far as you know what, what's really going on in the whole Phoenix storyline. Some people aren't necessarily happy about it. Uh, others, of course, are ecstatic. I'm just enjoying the ride. But are you reading it like page at a time or is he released an actual yeah, finished it, issue as it's coming out a page at a time i'm reading it each day pouring over uh, each each published page all right so i like to about, wait i'm gonna wait till it gets all out no yeah because we're about halfway through i mean he he puts out a, a new issue a month total i mean it's 22 pages or somewhere around 20 pages that he gets out um over the course of the the, the month because uh, he's only putting them out on weekdays so i think it's just 20 pages and uh Right now, what's going on is insane. 
and, and the revelations that have come up in this one um, to storyline points that actually Kurt Busiek uh, helped uh, cement back in the 80s. Uh, just, again, you, you, you'll have to read it and, and, and tell me what you think. Uh, I don't have a problem with it. Like I said, there are others. And, and Nathan Greno, of course, uh, you know, is, is one of those. You know, he's definitely one of the more outspoken uh, to the the idea that some of the plotting needs a, a bit more editing. But uh, again, I'm enjoying it. Cool. I haven't been following it closely, but occasionally I will see somebody share a page on uh, another Facebook page, and so I am aware they're coming out. But I'm kind of waiting until we get a whole issue together and I figured that we'd be addressing it here on third degree burn. So yeah, yeah, I'm kind of with you, Kurt. I, 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 I was fact of the seeing the pages is, that come out. Yeah. But I, the fact of the matter is, and let me double check this to see where did we actually, um, finish off when we did our, our, our uh, issues. I think we got to issue 10 and, mm-hmm. uh, the small scrappy, uh, creature had just landed on earth. Um, and obviously Wolverine and he were going to square off, but that's as far as I recall. We got okay, so that that would be um, – I'm pulling it up here to go in there. Yeah, we're on issue 12, and so it looks like we finished issue 11. Is it issue 11 that we uh, did? No, no, uh, issue 11 we have not covered. There's I thought we did. Issue 10, I thought we so did issue 11, 10. Yeah, issue 11 is available for us to do in – it's completed, okay. and issue 12 will be done uh, within the next week or so. Okay. Well, we, I think we should wait till we yeah. could do 11 and 12 and kind of finish out that 12 arc. I think that's the end of the arc, isn't it? 12? Uh, I don't know. Right. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think they can finish the Phoenix arc in, in the pages that we have left. And I don't know that he is going by a year, you know, if, if he's created that kind of timeline. I thought that what he had said was right now he's got things plotted out to issue 20. And I think he's uh, working on, I I know he had mentioned that he had um, scripted, which means pretty much it's finished issue 14. So he has to be working on 15 or later at this point. But again, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm just enjoying the heck out of it, and I, I can't wait each morning. That's the first thing I do after I get up is go and look at his page to see if he's posted it yet, and it's not disappointing at all. Nice. There's a there's one page in particular I think that will have ha, just basically have everybody going, how did he do that, or how could he do that? And that's just in, in the way he drew the page. And it's more about the detritus and everything flowing around than uh, – anyway – Let's uh, go ahead and get into our book, Babe Number One. Now, Kurt, All right. did you want me to talk about Dark Horse, or did you want to get started first? Uh, maybe you should do some background on Dark Horse and, and Legend, just to set the, the groundwork. Otherwise, it may be anticlimactic to do it at the end. Go ahead. True, true. See, Dark Horse Comics, of course, is probably the third best-known comic book company out there. I mean, there have been other other, other ones out there, Frick's Comics, Charlton and Pacific, uh, and then, of course, there's you know IDW and a lot of other companies out there, but they're a lot smaller than one might imagine. And Dark Horse has always been that that third-place company. 
Now, it was founded in 1986 by Mike Richardson, uh, and he was a, a he was a successful comic book shop uh, owner, and he still saw that there was a lot of gaps in where comic books, you know, could be provided, not just the uh, where they could be sold, but the, the the subjects being covered. And so when he started up Dark Horse, he, he you know had had a different idea than what DC and Marvel were doing. And in a lot of ways, the company, you know, that uh, it, it, if anything, it did revolutionize a lot of things because it was one of the first ones that went digital. Uh, and right now they've got over 3,500 comic books available on their website alone, but you can find a lot of things off of Comixology. Uh, Amazon is a Kindle version. Uh, obviously not Babe, though. <laughs> now, uh, what else I found out, of course, it's out of uh, Milwaukee, Oregon, not Wisconsin. And Richard Stradley helped Richardson in uh, expanding the Dark Horse line in the late 80s and helping them bring in the licensed titles, and most notably uh, Fox's Alien and Predator franchises. And they're the reason why we got the movies in the Alien vs. Predator uh, franchise. And in the 90s, now they started in 86, but in the 90s, Frank Miller and John Byrne came to them and they started the Legend imprint. And uh, they used, of course, as the uh, icon, the little uh, Moai that you see for, like the statue heads from Easter Island. And they brought in a number of uh, other writers and artists that uh, apparently did not want to join the image line. Uh, Art Adams, Mike Minola, Paul Chadwick, Dave Gibbons, Jeff Darrow, Mike Allred, and Walt Simonson were all part of that initial launch. Now, Legend, of course, as, as an imprint, uh, died out in 1998. That's when they, they uh, shut it down. Was that good? Yes, excellent. I uh, I liked the logo when it first appeared. I thought we were onto something great. I was a little surprised that it faded away. Uh, I don't know the details behind it, but uh, I uh, my memory was that Byrne and Miller uh, and a couple of others had joined together for this, but they didn't make as big a splash as I thought that they would. But I appreciate what they did get out in print while it was going. I think Image was sucking up so much of the the limelight. The, the, yeah, exactly, because that was a much bigger splash, and they were visually splashier. Uh, I've, actually, I've got a kind of quote. I told Brian about this. I'll read it real quick. Um, it's from Tumblr, from John Burns, I guess, Tumblr account, and this is from... I don't think he's got a Tumblr account. <clears throat> well, it the, said the it's John Byrne draws or John Byrne writes. It's John Byrne draws, but it said it's Tumblr. So, but maybe it's just his his well, blog. Okay, now j- just to make sure everybody knows, John Byrne's only internet um, um, presence presence is from his website, burnrobotics.com. Anything else has typically been the guy that ran the John Byrne draws and John Byrne writes websites, and he's a guy that was a fan. And is still a fan of Byrne's work, but not a fan of Byrne the Man, because he took him to task on many, many things over the years. So you might, I mean, we'll take take a listen to what the, the quote is, but uh, give it a grain of salt, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, he says he's quoting John Byrne, or maybe okay. he's paraphrasing, so I don't know, again... It's on the inter- it's on the internet, so I can't take everything with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, read at your own, you know, believe at your own risk. 
he says, John had this to say about legend. Uh, as Joe Duffy once aptly put it, it didn't take long for legend to become a myth. Legend was inspired by Image when Image was an imprint under Malibu. Uh, what a great idea, we thought. Let's do the same, only do it right. By right, we meant no soliciting of books that would never happen, no light books, no gimmicks, nothing, in fact, but comic books. And we had some of the finest talent when working in the, then working in the business ready to produce these comic books. Uh, contrary, contrary to the moronic drillings of at least one of the louder whiners of the fan press, Legend did not refer to those of us who founded it. That would have been Legends, with an S, and that was not what we were claiming about ourselves. Instead, being anti-image, we cast ourselves for something that would say, uh, here there be stories, and Legend is what came, what, uh, came up. As I recall, Frank Miller and I came up with it independently at the same time. Uh, but when then reality set in, first we discovered some of the guys, one in particular, could not produce even the small amount of work promised. Then what might have been politically deemed other considerations began to creep in. Uh, let's do a Legends card set. <clears throat> card set. Let's include people who have not only who have only joined but don't have any workout yet. Um, that won't really be the uh, same. That won't really be the same as uh, promoting projects that don't exist. Frank was the first to declare he would no longer be using the legend totem on his books. I followed the, his lead, and then I was thoroughly uh, castigated online by people who rather dramatically missed the point when I did not use the emblem on Wonder Woman. Oh, well. <laughs> that last bit I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, that, was, <laughs> that is. Oh, my. Well, I, I didn't well, realize that, that they were... Yeah, sorry, Kurt. Go ahead. That was interesting. I didn't know that, and that really... Answers all my questions. It was uh, he and and uh, Miller that started, or at least came up with the totem. I think it's a terrific logo. I just think it's it's really good. And I did go there. I had assumed that the word legend were referred to the creators. But thanks for setting that straight. Yeah, and that well, that would make sense. And they and I, I think they have a right to call themselves legends, or if they were going to refer to themselves. But I mean, let's let's face it. Image was. You know, and I was as guilty of drinking the image Kool-Aid as anybody else. I bought all the stuff, and and because it was, to me, it was art over substance. It was all flashy art and very little story or characterization. And it sounds like Legend wanted to go the opposite. They wanted to tell good stories with good art, but I guess they couldn't, you know. Image was kind of a juggernaut at the time, because let's not forget uh, Brian Valiant was coming up at the same time, and it kind of stole some of Images Thunder too. Mm-hmm. When it suddenly became super hot, and then it died off pretty quick too. Yeah, yeah, you know, and again, you know, when, when you they had Jim Shooter there as editor in chief, and you know, the books came out on time, but you know, sometimes the books had stick figures in them. Uh, I say that, but I, I can't really say. You know, it's like I mean, some of the art did not impress me, but again, that's all a matter of taste. Uh, but I, I did not get into all the uh, the different things, and I'll, I'll be honest. You know, I bought Babe when it came out, but I didn't read it right away, at least that I remember. And you know, I, the, the the problem I ran into was the the, the frequent problem that uh, we can run into with a lot of the the burn work, and that is if it's in the the Marvel or DC sandbox, you're guaranteed certain things, and you're guaranteed, of course, the the Kirby references and homages you're guaranteed 
uh, some, you know, what you think is comic book greatness. When you get outside the sandbox and start going with these creator-owned, you know, ideas and such, you're just not sure what you're going to get. Uh, Todd McFarlane, of course, you know, uh, was trying to create things when he was at Marvel doing Spider-Man, and he, as a writer, he definitely showed that he was lacking. But then he went off to Image and created Spawn. And Spawn, of course, you know, is what it is today. And, uh, you know, they're making another movie, as I understand it. Um, I actually am fond of the TV series, the animated series that was on HBO that came out of that. Uh, so, you know, I, I find there's interesting things about that. And he's created his own sandbox that's interesting. Burn, in going with Dark Horse in the Legend imprint, created a number of properties, Danger Unlimited, uh was it Torch of Liberty? And uh, he is listed as one of the creators of Hellboys. He helped uh, Minola write uh, the origin of the character. Hmm. I didn't. I didn't know he was given credit on that. Yeah, and uh, it's, even so, the Babe series uh, is directly is tied in to that universe. Of yeah, it takes place in the same universe. And he had planned on doing a crossover with Abe Sapien at one point, and for whatever reason, that fell by the wayside. Um, so you know he's you know trying to create a body of characters, and of course with the with his next men book, um, you know there was definitely something in it that really grabbed the readers because it had a pretty good readership there. And I think you know it's it's funny because a lot of what they did in next men in the early issues you saw later on in the Matrix. <laughs> and boy, I'm just talking all over the place today. <laughs> I, I just I, had well, a nice think... good shot of caffeine. <clears throat> I think uh, kind of the piggyback on what you said about uh, DC or, you know, the big two versus creator owned stuff is I think it's a certain level of comfort. Mm -hmm. If you're going to read a DC book or a Marvel book, <clears throat> you're familiar with the characters and there is a certain comfort level. And whether the, the story and art is good or bad, I think you, you you feel you kind of like, you know, your way around. And then you get a creator owned book where everything's new the art may be great, the story may be great, but it, it's hard to get in. It's, and I felt this way with this book. It was hard to get into the story and get access to it. And depending on what it is, sometimes you, it's instant. And it's like, wow, I love this. This is great. And sometimes you're a little standoffish and you have to read it three or four times to kind of get into it and feel comfortable with the world that's being created. So that was my, my, that was my reaction to this book. And maybe it was, Something I'll bring up later, but maybe it was the mood I was in when I read it. Okay. Well, shall we start with Babe 1? Yeah. Let's go. All right. I've got a two-page summary here that I'll share. Wow. And then maybe we can uh, go uh, back. Uh, you know, the thing is, whenever we cover a book, obviously the, the, the things that we try to cover before we get into it is all the creator information and whatnot. And, of course, what else was published that month by John Byrne? And do you know I don't think I, anything was. No, nothing was else it? was. It was the month before was was a lot of uh, like uh, I think eight different titles. You know, some, some things where he did the splash page or front cover or whatnot. But this month, the only thing he worked on was Babe. It was a dark and stormy night. Now, Kurt, do you have the um, the creator information? I have only what was on the inside of the uh, the front splash page uh, to share. Okay, go ahead. Just a few names. All right. So uh, it's, the actual title is John Burns Babe, uh, but it goes by the title Babe as opposed to Babe 2, which is the follow-up series. 
The story and art is by John Byrne. The coloring is by Matt Webb. The painted cover is by Gary Cody. And I should comment that the uh, painted cover, in fact, is a uh, takeoff on a classic uh, portrait of Venus on the half shell. And that's a joke in itself. If you're familiar with the artwork, she's in exactly the same position and exactly uh, unclothed as Venus was. However, the joke on the cover is, obviously, uh, the character of Ralph is storming in from the right. He's in a trench coat and holding a big pink blanket, trying to cover up, saying, No, 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 babe, don't give it all away on the cover. No one will buy the comic. And I thought it worked really well. I think the first time that I saw this image was probably in something like Comic Shop News, but I thought it did everything that uh, that Byrne was attempting to, one, make a splash, and two, get them in the tent. So, um, you know, like it or not, that's how it was. There's also a dedication inside the front cover that says, For Earl, 1987 to 1994, which is a seven-year spread. I don't know who Earl is or if it was a pet. I have like no idea what it means. Yeah, it yeah, does sound like a pet. But, uh, you know... The, there was apparently a Dark Horse preview of issue one that you could have gotten your hands on beforehand because they actually were able to put letters in issue two of, uh, of Babe that they'd gotten from uh, the Dark Horse preview. And, of course, hmm. all, the, all the letters were positive. All the letters that they did print in issues two and four uh, were very positive of the book. Uh, there wasn't any, any negativity or anything on it. Now, I couldn't find anything on the sales of the book, but I have to assume that they were in that 50,000 range that Byrne typically gets per book in, in, you know, in his uh, you know, normal, uh, normal follow-around. Like when he was on West Coast Avengers, they had an average sales of 190,000, and the book went up to 240,000. So uh, that, that's what I could find in there. Now, I mean, they, would, they would kill for that this day. Yeah. And as far as Gary Cody goes, now I don't know if you remember, but Gary Cody's actually a character in the Alpha Flight books, and he was drawn to look just like the guy Gary Cody. Mm. And uh, last, not last year, but two years ago at the the uh, Fan Expo in Boston, Gary Cody was there with John Byrne, or maybe it was in Dallas, I forget. He was there on the day that uh, neither Tim or I were there, though. That's the sad part. We missed him. Mm-hmm. He might have been there in Boston when I was there, but I don't remember seeing him or rather <clears throat> the name didn't click so yeah and, and that's the thing is it didn't click with me uh, as we were talking about it the la- you know when you were talking about the fan expo it didn't click with me that you know he was the guy that did those covers until we you know, we started working on babe and all of a sudden I'm, oh Gary Cody that's right yeah. and these covers are very much in the the John Byrne style um, and that's I mean, what I, I and that's what I don't like about it. I don't. I wasn't crazy about the cover because I first thought Byrne had painted it, and he wasn't really known for doing painted covers. Mm-hmm. But then I found out that it was uh, somebody else doing it in his style. And to me, his his style painted doesn't work no. as well as just a nice inked version of it. But that's just me. And now the the other thing was, you know, again, while that is the Botticelli Venus. Uh, it was more an homage to uh, Uma Thurman in The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Okay. Uh, some people had compared it to to Splash, Daryl Hannah, but no. This, okay. got a, this whole thing's got a very Splash feel. Yeah, but uh, no, it was more more uh, Baron Munchausen, which if if you've seen that, you've seen Uma Thurman doing the very same same pose. And I'm going to have to look that up. Oh, she was 17 <laughs> when she did it, so curb your thoughts. 
<laughs> that was her very first acting role, as I understand it. As long as we're on the cover, the upper left-hand corner, of course, has the Legend logo, mm -hmm. but it looks like a uh, red ball has been added. The clown's nose has been added yeah. to uh, the, the face of the uh, Easter Island figure. Uh, was that just for this series? Does anybody know if that was just his way of saying, hey, this is lighthearted, this is a comedy book? I would think that's what that means. But I wish um, there, would, there had been more, um, and that was the only issue they did that. Yeah. I wish there had been more to say what the book was about, you know, when you picked it up. Because, again, you know, when he was doing Next Men, Next Men, of course, was for mature audiences. And this really is supposed to be a fun-for-all-ages book. And yet the first issue says cheesecake. Yes. Well, I think, that you know, it is what it is. It, I, as I said, I think he wanted to make a splash and get people to pick it up. And I think this works that way. The entire book is not nothing but cheesecake, but it it makes no bones about it that he's trying to grab your attention, as we'll see once we get into this. Mm -hmm. right, I think going? it works on that level. Yeah. You want to give us a synopsis? Sure. All right. Okay. I stayed up late last night writing this up despite car carpal tunnel syndrome, so uh, I hope you appreciate two pages <laughs> of struggling here. All right. This one has started with uh, the title, actually, on the splash page. On a dark and stormy night, Ralph Rowan, small-time talent agent, is driving home on a wet, curvy seacoast road, irritated and grumbling. Looks like a short Jimmy Olsen. The night has not gone as he planned. No deal, no debutante, no date. He slams on the brakes when rounding a curve and finds a naked woman with long, red, flowing hair standing like Lady Godiva in the middle of the roadway ahead. He pops out and confronts her, first accusing her of attempting suicide. She does not respond, a total blank. He gives her his trench coat and gets her into the passenger seat, calling her babe several times. Ralph drives to the nearest uh, LAPD office and tries to drop her off. He takes no responsibility for her and cannot provide them with the slightest bit of info on her. As he drives off, washing his hands of her, she repeats her name is Babe to an officer. She appears sad to see Ralph leave. The next morning, Sylvia Perez opens the door to Ralph's inner office to find him sprawled out half-naked on the couch. She's surprised that he's alone for once, as it's almost noontime. He washes up in the bathroom in t-shirt and shorts, pulls on his brown pants and clothes, and then reads the newspaper she hands him. The headline mentions missing victims from an airplane crash. He flinches and becomes outraged at something he reads inside, bolting out the door, railing about how he stole her from him. Sylvia gathers the papers up and reads inside, Gideon Longshow reclaims missing protege from police. We cut to Gideon Longshadow's San Simeon-like estate, where he confirms with his staff that the girl remembers nothing and is a complete blank. He is observing her dressing in a bedroom below through a curtained window. She's dressing somewhat like Snow White. Meanwhile, Ralph drives up to the estate, jumps the wall, and makes his way up to a full-length French windows, getting Babe's attention and asking her to unlock the door. She delightedly shatters the door, and the two make a run for the wall, hand in hand. Once there, Ralph freezes their realizes they're stuck unless she can knock a hole in the wall which she does with one hand they drive off once again in his black 1950s Cadillac free from Gideon for the moment he takes her to a sleazy waterbed motel where Ralph again tries to learn more from Babe and starts a me Tarzan you Jane routine with her he says it's time for the next part of the plan 
but has none. And then he rails against Gideon taking his property, and Babe speaks a full sentence, saying she's not exactly cast-off furniture that he can lay claim to. Ralph is stunned. She lapses back into just the simple Babe response again. He calls the office to learn Sylvia is sitting in the wrecked office, having been tossed by Gideon's men. Ralph summons her to the motel. She drives up in a small beat-up car with a mispainted door and Perez license plates. Sylvia shows up, and it is pretty catty that Babe is at least a cut above his usual gal, but she is supportive. Ralph gives Babe a phone book to rip in half to demonstrate her strength, but she instead opens it and points to Donald Stevens' listing. They drive up to a nice hacienda up in the hills with a spacious living room. Sadly, Daddy Donald does not recognize Babe and dissolves into tears after the false hope of his finding his missing daughter who's been missing from the plane crash the night Babe appeared. The trio apologize and leave, driving away in Sylvia's small car to a cheap boutique that leans towards Victoria's Secret. Sylvia objects to the brazen leather outfit that Ralph prefers for Babe, but instead selects a smart white blazer, black camisole top, and black slacks. She's looking more like Jennifer Walters all the time now. Ralph says they're ready to call in all his favors. We cut to the David Letterman show where he introduces Babe behind a curtain being drawn open. But instead, we see Sylvia playing a baby grand piano on top of a circular riser. Dave is irritated that this is not the spectacular he expected. But she instead introduces Babe, who lifts them all high on stage, having been hidden under the circular riser. Again, echoes of She-Hulk, if you recall the poster. It's a smash success, with letters and offers pouring in. We see the trio in the Bel Air Motel suite celebrating. Ralph says, stick with me and I'll put you into orbit, as he holds Babe's hand like Prince Charming. Sylvia, pictured between the two, is scowling slightly at this show of male dominance, but says nothing. We cut to an orbiting spaceship, somewhere behind the moon, where several alien green sponges and large large bubble-headed domes are conversing, watching Babe on a view screen. One says the timing is too perfect and that they have to act before the fusion destabilization to be continued. And that's all I got, folks. That's quite a bit. Did you Uh, like it? (laughs) Obviously did. I I bought the whole series. And I think I bought Babe 2 when it came out. Um, I enjoyed the rock. I could tell that he was spoon-feeding us out. I didn't catch at first that this was only going to be four issues, but I've got to tell you there is such a left turn at the end of each episode that at some point through this series, I began to wonder if this was a random plot that somebody was, you know, somebody off screen, so off stage left was saying, okay, now let's do a mouse and a wizard. Okay, now incorporate, (laughs) you know, Mars Attacks. Or if maybe his son was throwing out ideas and he was doing... You know, a challenge, but geez, there's some wicked left turns. We haven't even gotten into the significance yeah. of the aliens, although we've really seen them. Interesting, though. Yeah, and, and I, I had the Mars Attacks vibe on that when I, when you know, it's like I, I read it here, and I was like, wait a second, this came out in July of '94. Mars Attacks didn't come out until, let me see here, December of '96, and oh. yet, well, again, that's the movie. Was there a book? 
There were no. ships tops trading cards. Of that's Mark's what it was. What I, I, I knew trading it had to be somewhere, somewhere because I was just like, no, it can't be the the movie. But yeah, okay, so it's tops trading. Well, I mean, this is just. I mean, Burns old enough that he's probably familiar with uh, the sci-fi of the fifties. Yeah. That this is just a bug-eyed monster. So I think. Um, I think that's what he's. While he's the pulling from. Place modern age. He's got a very fifties uh, sensibility about it. I mean, the that, yeah, car that the, Ralph is driving, of course. The car, the language. Look, look at his dialogue. It's very kind of, uh, kind of a light-hearted, kind of sixties, kind of Dean Martin kind of feel to it. You know, it's not really serious. He's kind of hip, but he's, you know, he's well. I guess he'd be hip, but. Uh, oh, I wouldn't say hip. I, I'd say he's an incompetent. He says he's been in the business 15 years, but I think there's several character bits throughout this where he hasn't thought it all the way through time and time again. Perfect example is where he jumps off the roof of the Cadillac into the compound, but then doesn't think, how is he going to get over the wall coming out? Burns so has said that, that the character <clears throat> Ralph Rowan is actually based on Edmund Blackadder. The character played by Rowan Atkinson in the uh, TV series Blackadder. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and, and you see that a little bit, but you know, not not a whole lot. Well, have you have either of you seen all four seasons of Blackadder? No, 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 no. Seen any of Blackadder? I, I don't think I've seen it. It's been a long time. Bit. Which is, is it is, is it's I'm, it's pretty. The first season is a little a little rough. The second, third, and fourth are hilarious. Because only in the first season is he kind of incompetent. The other is he's that typical Rowan Atkinson, you know, a serpent wit, kind of on top of everything. So that's not this character, but maybe I correct myself. He thinks he's hip, but he's not. You know, he's kind yeah. of a he's you know he's that down that down in your luck guy that yep. he's he's the big score and he's that's all he's thinking. This is my big score, so he's not thinking. To your point, he's not thinking through any any of his actions. Um, and to your point about a left turn, to me it feels a little bit as I read the first issue, then I kind of skimmed the other the other two three. It's almost like a stream of consciousness. It's almost yes. like whatever came into his head. Hey, let's do that. And he's it's more indulgent to me than uh, thinking of th- plotting it out. Okay, here's my four issues. This is what I'm going to story I'm going to tell. It's more him just having fun. I mean, I definitely him see him burnt. having fun with it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I I got that sense also. But by the time we got to the fourth book, I was starting to scratch my head. <laughs> I, I enjoy this. I think it's got great humor bits, and I really like the art, and I like the pacing. I do think he's got this plotted out. But the, the ideas and the concepts start coming out of left field, left and right, so frequently. Uh, the, I'll give you an example. This, this issue, the point of view character that we follow, is Ralph. But by the second issue, the point of view character has shifted to Sylvia. And then I think a little bit later on it may shift again, but it's like Ralph becomes not a minor character, but he's not the central figure anymore as we have an ensemble cast that keeps expanding. So I don't know the background behind it. I enjoyed this series, don't get me wrong, but it, it, looking at it now, you know, 25, 26 years after it came out, and having not read it in between, I had forgotten that sense. I I didn't I I did uh, I didn't enjoy it. I it's I'm not going to say it's a bad book or say anything negative about it. It's just not for me. I didn't uh, I don't I I it's Burns humor. Yes. And this may be 
I don't may I don't think it's controversial, but I don't think he is. It's not his strong suit. I don't think he does this. He can write humor when he's writing a book or writing a, a, a story or characters. You can. There's a difference between well, humor is, and jokes. This is Ryan's subtle humor. It's not like She Hulk, you know, breaking the fourth wall and. Well, I, I think it's very much to me. It feels like it's yeah. It's, they don't break the fourth wall, but it's it's kind of reheated She-Hulk. It's that same feel. Yes. Of, yes. Uh, and I'll give you an example here. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go to to uh, the um, Star Wars. There's humor in. Uh, let's use the Last Jedi for instance, or the Return of the Jedi for instance. There's humor in that that is kind of cringeworthy to me. That it's some it's a character telling a joke. That's different than a character being funny. We all know people who are funny, who are just clever and funny and witty. And that's different than somebody just rattling off a joke like a stand-up. That I don't. That kind of humor I don't like in a film or a book. And that's what this feels a little bit like. He's telling jokes. It's not characters that are being funny. And I don't think the humor is. I don't think the humor is clever enough to be really humorous that you would you would find in. Well, it's not like the what the books or a, or a comedy book like that, but I don't th- I just don't think that's his strong suit. I think he's better at writing uh, straight narrative that have, you know, you could have characters in there that are funny or say funny things, but this is it's not parody. But this is it's just something about it just doesn't work for me. The same you're way Shield didn't quite for work for me. Catch you almost exactly, and it and it seems a, it feels a little burned kind of saying see how clever I am see I'm and I'm having fun writing this but it's not it just it, again it, I don't want to sound like it's a negative it's just not for me the fact that Kurt liked it that's great it's just it's just not my I'd rather not see him writing this kind of stuff yeah now as you guys read to the did the because you you read the digital uh, one online did it have the ads and everything in there as well no my you know, the watermark inside the the front cover or did oh I want to talk cover? about that I want to talk about the watermark later. Okay. Um, okay. I don't. I'm looking at it online. The original, I think, had ads in it, mm-hmm. sprinkled through it, but I don't remember what they were. The the it's it's interesting because there's a, a next men ad uh, in there after page six, and you know it says uh, next men collection. When the shackles are off, the real fun begins. Superheroes for those those of us who've been around a while. And then it's on this page is split, and it's got a shot of Jasmine and someone um, I, I forget the the guy with the eyes. Um, you know, basically, it's the scene from the next men where they're they're getting, hooking up, and it says, "What's more fun than John Byrne working at Marvel Comics? Byrne doing all the stuff Marvel wouldn't let him do." If you want to remember what's fun, what fun's all about, check out this second collection of John Byrne's Next Men shipping in May. So it's like. You know, very um, it, it the imagery is of course evocative of uh, adult type material, and then the very next page is a, uh, a full page ad for Jim Silk's Rascals in Paradise, and it is a very cheesecake, almost Boris Vallejo type type uh, shot of a woman from behind wearing nearly a thong and uh, army clothes, and this is a pinup on every page. Three issues of rocket ships and ray guns with the savage passions and sadistic rituals of the Malay jungle of 1932. If you are a Frazetta, Stevens, and Raymond lover, this is a book for you this August for mature readers. 
And of course, this book's supposed to be all ages. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Well, I mean, he, he can't he can't help what they're gonna you know. Yeah. He I did mean, that. He did that, uh, and I think somebody commented on Facebook recently. You know, he did. They did a. They had an X Men jacket you could buy, and he did a yeah, uh, ad with. I, I actually. Yeah, it was you. That. Yeah. Yeah. Because on the back page of the of the book, inside back page of this book, is a full page ad, and it's got Babe holding up the jacket to her chest because apparently she's not wearing anything except shoes. And uh, it's an ad for this. It's a uh, vinyl jacket, uh, sorry, black satin jacket with snap front, cotton lining, and contrasting straight knit collar, cuffs, and waistband. So it kind of gives you an idea of the jacket. And I was asking to see if anybody had actually bought it. It was bought $50. It? Yeah. You, you bought it? No, no, no. no. I, no I, I have a, a Spider-Man jacket similar to that, which is the cover to Spider-Man 1 by McFarlane. I've got a, a black satin jacket with that embroidered in the back. Well, I, I again, I'd asked around to see if anybody had actually bought it, and did they did they hold up very well? And of course, Nathan Greno <laughs> is one of the guys that bought one, and of course, his has held up pretty well. Uh, I want to say it was unburned. Well, you probably you probably don't wear it; you just put it in a closet and cover it in plastic. Yeah, and maybe took it to to burn to get him to autograph it or something at some point or other. Um, I asked that a few weeks ago, so it'd be way on down the feed. But, uh, you know, the thing was, uh, now, of course, the other things that we need to mention about this book is that it was printed on very, very nice paper. I don't know that this, this isn't Baxter paper. No. Baxter paper is usually a little thicker and um, less malleable. But it wasn't newsprint. It was the slicker type stuff. Yeah, and it looks like flexographic printing, but flexographic printing that actually worked. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just very, very good color separation. Uh, vibrant colors, especially when her hair is on the page. It just stands out. It's very saturated. I, I wanted to ask about the art because I, when I started reading this, the art it kind of wavered. Some panels seemed uh, kind of unfinished, almost like he'd done quick breakdowns and then somebody, he'd, he'd inked over it. And others looked a little more finished. Uh, the art wasn't... Uh, I mean, it's, it's not bad, but it wasn't as... Compare this to what he was doing at the same time, which is Danger Unlimited. I thought that was much more refined and nicer. Well, this doesn't this. use any of the duo shade, right? And that—that's not what was what it's drawing. It just seems a little. Uh, I, I don't, we don't like to use the word rushed. It just seemed a little less. Technically. You know, if if that art was a ten, this art's like a seven. So it's not bad. John Byrne doesn't do bad art. It's just not quite as. Uh, and maybe that was yeah. a, a. Maybe that was a. Uh, uh, he did that purposely. Maybe he was trying to uh, evoke a, a look or a vibe, or a, uh, or maybe he was just didn't have time to do this when he was doing. To Brian's note, he was pretty busy the month before, and he was this was he's about the middle of Next Men in this, wasn't he? Next Men was around issue twenty. Yeah. He was doing this. Seven came out the yeah. month after. So, uh, yeah. In fact, of the matter was, I was sitting there looking at that, and. Um, yeah, the, the month before, he did the cover for Blood Syndicate, uh, work on hardware, which I don't know what that is, uh, helped writing Hellboy Seated Destruction, Icon, uh, Next Bend 26 came out that month, Cobalt number one came out, uh, Ecstatic, and Zombie. And again, none of these I, I, are, are anything I'm really uh, familiar with. It wasn't Ecstatic, it was just Static. Um, 
So I'm not familiar with much anything except for, you know, Next Men, Hellboy. I seem to remember hardware, and I've seen that cover for Blood Syndicate. But um, he didn't do any interior art on that. And then the month after was Aliens Earth Angel, which he probably spent a few months working on. That, and, and we keep talking about covering that. I think we need to cover that this October for our Halloween show. Not a bad idea. And then uh, he had ElfQuest graphic novel working that, um, Next Men 27, and, well, and then the rest is reprint. But yeah, apparently he was pretty busy all around this, and I'm assuming he was pretty busy during this month putting all that together. Whew. Well, this reminds me a little of, uh, uh, and I'm sorry to hog all the, the mic, mic time here. Have either of you read Fear Agent by Rick Remender? No. no. That's kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of a sci-fi kind of 50s throwback book that has, I think, the right level of humor, and I like that that book a lot. Um that's kind of feels what Burns going with. Maybe it's the 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 all the left turns that Kirk talked about. Maybe that threw me off, or maybe it was. Uh, I read I read this last night after we tried to watch uh, Birds of Prey. We watched that uh, Friday. Either of you seen that the new film? We saw it in no. the theater. We watched it uh, Friday, and I I bailed out, and then we watched the rest of it yesterday because I did not I didn't enjoy that film at all. Uh, maybe yeah. that put me, put me in a bad mood when I was reading this. So, yeah, this is, no, this is not, the, not the, not the uh, complaint about DC movies podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Kirk, you liked it. What, what? Uh, and I didn't dislike it, but you seemed to have a more positive edit or a reaction to it. So, what, what were your highlights? Oh boy. Um, well, I've got it open on online in front of me, and as I scroll through it while you guys were talking. I was looking at the art and the, you know, the, trying to find examples of unfinished panels and what have you. The inking is just a bit more sketchy. It's it's less detailed than perhaps we're used to. I agree with what you were saying about the saturated color. Her red hair is striking. Um, it kept reminding me of Lady Godiva. Um, I I liked I liked one the the humorous interaction between the characters. Um, Obviously, when when Byrne changes scenes, he typically has a caption box overlap or a play on words like "I'm going to put you into orbit," and then we cut to in orbit, a spaceship, you know, a scene change transition. I like that. I really like his architecture. Uh, you know, the the California estates, uh, San Simeon, or or the hacienda. You know, he's got that down. I I didn't mind that at all. But underneath the whole thing is is not a I almost say a, a vibe of exploiting women, and that's not quite what I mean. But there, it, it is so obvious that Ralph is trying to exploit her nudity, or her physicality, or you, you know, exploit her to get ahead in the world. And there's an undercurrent through the whole thing that we see reflected in other people's faces that he keeps stumbling or he keeps being subverted. Um, it's almost like a step or strike for women's lip because he doesn't succeed, but everybody's trying to utilize her. They're trying to use her. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's subtle, but it's definitely the current is there. Uh, they're trying to exploit her, but in fact, there are other characters that are protective of her. Uh, and I like that. I, I, I like the feel that you could tell through a little facial expression between Sylvia or Babe or through Donald, the father, you could read their emotions of what they feel about what's being said in the panel. 
very clearly, very easily, and you know the pendulum swings back and forth. I'll give you a good example. Um, when they're in the boutique and Ralph is trying to dress her in black, maybe it's black satin, not leather, but he's trying to dress her um, as a stripper or a hooker. But the very next page, you see her revealed in the uh, the white, um, what do you call it, white uh, suit coat. The reaction of the faces behind her, Sylvia and Ralph, tell the story. On one, Ralph is thrilled and Sylvia's irritated. And then the next page, their roles are literally reversed. And you can see Sylvia beaming and Ralph scowling. Uh, that works for me. Yeah. Um, well, it may be, I, I, to your point, I think we're supposed to, to, to think Ralph is kind of a pig. Because yes, it's established exactly. that, yeah, that he is, he's, you know, Sylvia says, you're always bringing home bimbos. Yes. Uh, and then, and, and you, I will say this, he, you don't get the feeling that he wants to uh, have, any, have a physical relationship with uh, Babe. He just wants to, this is his ticket, you know, he's, yeah. he's well, small the, change. He wants to Letterman make show. it big. The Dave Letterman show sequence is, is a perfect example of that because what does she do? She does the Mighty Joe Young thing. I mean, yeah, you know, basically, exactly what that is. More than a train monkey. And well, they're both. I mean, and, and Kurt, you didn't talk about the, is it Long Shadow? Who's the, yeah, the, Long Shadow. the Donald Southern looking kind of guy um, with the mutton chops? He just wants a blank slate that he can, you know, and maybe this is kind of a throwback to the, to the, the 40s and 50s studio system where uh, a movie studio would get a young starlet and they would like maybe change her name they would show her how to dress they would tell her how to act they would arrange dates for her they would kind of mold her into a person that they could use and a brand and that's what he wants to do ralph wants to do it on a less sophisticated level he's just looking at dollar signs mm-hmm. uh and to your point is it weird that sylvia kind of goes along with it that um of maybe she's not thinking of exploiting her in that way, although they are because they're putting on the Letterman show. And I think I think he draws Letterman kind of funny. Um, he looks a little more like uh, uh, Norman Osborn, but <laughs> he's got that gap yeah. tooth, which shows you that's Letterman. Uh, that they're just trying to, you know, there's no talk of, and maybe this is on purpose. There's no talk of where she came from. Why can't she seem to speak except uh, in sporadic spurts? Uh, why, you know, she's like seven foot tall. There's no talk at all about how to find out who she is, what she is. Uh, why did the police let Longshatter just walk in there and say it's kind of a overboard kind of situation? Did he walk in and say, "Hey, that's uh, that's my starlet. You know, she works for me," and they just release her? He's rich white guy. Okay. Well. Okay. Yeah. He is. Yeah. Yeah. And who can say no to those mutton chops? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I didn't talk much about his his appearance. What was the word you used to describe him? He uh, looks kind of like a Donald Sutherland meets a uh, 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 Hammer Horror. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, okay. That's a good image, Donald Sutherland. I hadn't thought of that, but I was trying to think of those mutton chops. How to get that across? And then I ultimately <laughs> in my my revision i just skipped the description because he comes back and we don't see much of him in this except to introduce him he comes back in in subsequent issues yeah and you know is embroiled in the plot later on um and some of this about what you're talking about about the mystery of who she is or how she can do these things or why doesn't she speak much 
uh, that that gets dealt with later on down the road. That's the overarching mystery that doesn't pay right. off until you get to the fourth issue. Uh, and I don't know that we want to spoil that right now, but uh, there is an explanation. And, it, it, you know, once they give you the explanation, I was expecting, oh, okay, that's the end. But the, in the fourth issue, there's a teaser that the story is going to continue. And I guess it does in the next two-part series, which is called Babe 2. But I don't recall where it goes. Again, so many of these concepts that come in, they appear in the second issue or another new concept shows up in the third issue. And it's like, holy smokes, how do you keep them all straight? I, I like your description saying it's almost like it's stream of consciousness. But it, I think this is plotted out. I think it's well-structured, and I think he knows what he's doing, but a mouse dressed as a wizard? Is that a knock at Disney? I that's just got, That's got to be Fantasia. I think it's more, maybe stream of consciousness is not right, but it's more, hey, I've always wanted to draw this. I'm going to throw it in. I yep. wanted to do this. I'm going to throw that in. So it's kind of a uh, everything in the kitchen sink kind of approach to it. Yep. Um, yeah, Byrne didn't plot out uh, directly for quite a while at this point, so he... You know, the thing is, he always saw an endpoint, but he always scripted or, or plotted by the seat of his pants when he used drawing. And especially when it's something like this, you know, where he's got full control over it, you know, he can do it at the leisurely pace that he wants to or at the breakneck speed if he wants to. And I think what, you know, what you got here was he knew where he wanted to take it, and it was just a matter of getting from A to B. And at some points at A and a half, uh, copyright Sean Kaufman, uh, <laughs> it just um, kind of fell flat. And, and what I mean is that, uh, again, I, I bought this one. It originally came out, bought the entire series, both both series. And then I remember now, I actually did read the first issue way back when. And I was just like, huh, okay. And I didn't go to issue two. And in, in the last couple of weeks, I took these out and put them in my nightstand. And so at night when I had free time, I'd pull out the issue and read it. Um, and then I said, huh, not bad. And I put it back and I said, I'll get to the other ones. And I never, you know, we've been sitting here at, at, at night uh, catching up on my son's anime watching. We've been watching uh, Attack on Titan and, and other things. And I haven't felt the need to reach into the nightstand to pick out the other issues. So I've looked at them and they look interesting and it's part of my research is looking through the letters pages and whatnot. You know, and so I'm, I'm definitely going to read them, but the first issue didn't do enough to make me pull out the second issue. That's the problem I had with it. It did make me want to go on and pick up the next one, which it should. A book should make you want to follow through and read the rest and it didn't, uh, you know... I wasn't curious enough to know what was going on. I wasn't invested in the characters enough to want to pursue Bern, it more. Bern always says, you know, never give the readers what they think that they want. And the thing that I think that I wanted was I wanted her to give more breadcrumbs. She had that one point where she spouted out that one sentence and you're like, hey, what was that? And she puts her hands up to her mouth like, like either was I shouldn't have said that or how did I do that? I don't know what, which, what, what that expression meant. And you wanted at least a little bit more of that, and he he wouldn't even give you that. And I think it was I think that was a mistake. I think he should have done more of that. If he'd given just a little bit more, he probably would have intrigued you enough to continue on. So, how many more issues have both of you read? 
Yeah. I I thumbed through the the I haven't fully read, but I thumbed through so I kind of know what's going on of the next three issues. So I know how it. I know I know about her origin. I've read that part and kind of glossed over that. So um, I haven't read it. I've, I've actual looked at all the pages, you know, as I was sitting there thumbing through trying to find letter pages, other notes, and, and bits of information, but I, I didn't really glean what was actually happening. It looks like it really goes in a lot of different directions. and I mean, nothing in the first issue indicates that except for the very last page. Um, well, and, and to Kirk's point, I don't want to spoil anything, but I know how it, I know what her origin is. And to your point, where it, it there's it seems like here's the origin, then there's another story that that carries starts. on, mm-hmm. that starts that like this was going to be a an ongoing series, an ongoing series, and it felt like it was going to kind of maybe devolve into a kind of a standard kind of superhero, maybe a little bit of a twist, superhero mm-hmm. story of moving forward of these of her kind of battling villains, but. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I, I don't know if to to your point, uh, Brian, about him writing kind of as he goes. If you've ever listened to Stephen King talk about writing, he'll say, as you you may have an idea of what you're going to do, but once you create a character and you write them, sometimes the characters take over and they mm-hmm. will start doing things that you didn't mean to do. They kind of have their own voice. So I don't know if that as he was writing this stuff. Uh, John Krasinski said the same thing uh, when he was writing. Um, <coughs> Excuse me, Babylon Five, uh, yeah. the scene where they were uh, supposed to kill a certain character, and he says, as I was getting getting that scene together, and I was about to write it, all of a sudden, one of the characters says to me, "No, let me do this," and he said it was one of the scariest moments in his career as a writer to have that happen, and then re- he realized, you know, that how his muse is working, and then he embraced it after that, and unfortunately, if you embrace it, it, it lets too many left turns roll in. But, yeah, I mean, I, I can understand that. And, and that's what I think happens with most writers is, you know, hopefully your muse does speak to you. But even as such, the writing in this is probably what hurts it the most. And I, I'll actually... Um, I'll agree with that. Yeah, I, you know, uh, our buddy Mike Carlisle, uh, he, he has a blog called The Crap Box of Son of Cthulhu. And about four years ago, he actually did a review of this issue. And the very last paragraph that he's got in here is the one that's the most telling. He says, No, it's far from Byrne's best work, but it is John Byrne's story and art. So in a pinch, even mediocre Byrne is better than half the stuff on the shelves these days, and better than 95% of what's waiting in the crap box. And I'll agree with that. It is beautiful to look at. Um, I sometimes find that, that the color gives an almost tasty look and any kind of reproductions of it uh, that go on the web make uh, all babe especially look very pasty and uh, it, it's got something to do with the color transfer I guess I don't know but uh, I, I mean again I think now I, I'm going to be incensed to go and read the rest of it just to figure out what he was getting at so uh, you know that that's that's going to happen I don't know if we want to have a, a wrap up discussion later after going through all of them maybe but, yeah, uh, yeah, I'd be up for that. Yeah, maybe John can join us when he's got a moment um, to to revisit this. But I, I do think if you're going to judge the the series, you should read the series as a whole. Yeah, uh, I mean, your your comment about not not wanting to pick up the second issue or not being drawn to it that's valid. But you kind of uh, you kind of open the present at the end 
too soon before you you were thrown some more crumbs and and developed. And I think it's only fair to read this series uh, before we judge it. You still may not like it. Well, you know, the thing is, when I first saw it, I really didn't know what to expect from it. And the Nobody first issue, did. yeah, and the first issue doesn't totally set your expectations. And so, you know, it's like it's like eating a sandwich that doesn't have that one ingredient that mm. that makes it right. I, I still remember the old Archie comic where uh, Archie and Betty are at the beach and he's eating a sandwich and he goes, it's just not right. And Betty's like, I don't know what could be wrong. And she stops for a moment, picks up some sand and throws it on a sandwich. Yeah. And then Archie <laughs> takes a bite and he goes, that's it. <laughs> you know, there's, there's some magic ingredient that's missing. Uh, that, that, that's saying, you know, I, I have to read more, but now, you know, I mean, just from our discussion, I'm going to read more. Yeah. And part of it, my, and I will say, and I, I want to, I don't want to say I didn't like the book. It just wasn't for me. It wasn't, wasn't what I was looking for or wanting. And maybe it's, and I think it's fans, fans run into this all the time. You hear about it now. People grousing about it all the time. When someone, the fans know what they want, they expect that. And then, uh, you know, let's look at The Last Jedi, for instance. When, when, when somebody gives them something that's not what they wanted, they complain about it. Or it's hard to, like, well, that's not what I wanted. I was expecting this, and I got this. So maybe that's, this is, you know, and you can't, you can't, uh, you know, complain about somebody wanting to try something different. They don't want to just do the same thing over and over. So if he's stretching his muscles and doing something different and, and want to do that, I can't. I can't begrudge him that. It's maybe it was my reaction to, well, oh, wait a minute, this is not. I came. I came here to see this other thing, and now you've given me this, and it takes me a while to digest it. So, I, I got a story that that really encapsulates how how this could feel, and that. Um, goes back to late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, my late friend Sean Kaufman uh, said, "Hey, you got to watch this movie called Very Bad Things." Are you guys familiar with that movie? Nope, I've never seen it, but I've heard it's not very good. <laughs> well, it stars John Favreau and uh, Jeremy Piven and a number of other guys, and it's about basically John Favreau being taken to his bachelor party by his buddies, and very bad things happen. Okay, now the only movie that I had seen John Favreau in up to this point that I remembered was Swingers. And, you, you know, there's things in that character that guys like us could probably identify with. And so when you see him in this movie, he's acting very much the same. So you figure, okay, this is someone I can probably identify with. And then that movie takes a very dark left turn. And I hated it. I hated that movie all the way to the end. And I was just like, ugh, this was horrible. I can't believe you made me watch it. And a week later, we're sitting there and talking. He goes, I want you to watch a movie. And I said, what? And he goes, just watch. And he turned on Very Bad Things again. And I laughed my butt off. And I enjoyed that movie in a way I couldn't conceive that I was going to enjoy it. And but was it because you were watching it with him? It Not because I was watching it with him. It's because I knew at this point that I was supposed to hate the characters. I was supposed to want very bad things to happen to them. Uh, it's just like there's a, a new series on HBO that just came on called Run with Domhnall Gleeson. And you, know, you don't know what to make of the characters from the beginning, but then you realize, no, you have to hate these people. And then once you realize that, you enjoy it <laughs> so much more. 
uh, it, the thing is, is like sometimes the, the the show doesn't tell you, the book doesn't tell you. Are you going? To, are you supposed to like these characters? Or are you supposed to hate these characters? And you have to get somewhere down the road before you actually realize. Or in the case of very bad things, either you have to watch it over, or you have to have someone point it out to you before you watch it that these are not people that you're supposed to like. And I mean, again, with this book, there's a lot to it that I don't understand yet. And again, reading reading further will tell me more. And and so I've got to keep an open mind on that and just go in there and, and, and read it out. Now, that being said, there are a lot of people that are saying, I don't want to have to work that hard for a book. And that's something I think that, you know, every writer and artist needs to remember. But that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I do agree. This is the type of book that may, you know, with decompressed writing, the, the joke of the industry is, yeah, you can spend four dollars for it and in four minutes you finish the book and it's been tossed aside but this is a, a book that i think you have to sit down and you have to read every line there i think there's a lot here and it's not just a casual read you have to read the whole thing um you know what i'm saying i think it th there's more weight and substance in this than i think um, than, than most of the stuff that's out on the newsstand or in the 90s and the, the, the 2000s. You know, the, the, we were barely getting four pages of content in a 20-page book for four bucks. But that's my opinion. I have another question that, that I, I want to bring up. You had mentioned the watermark. Um, as you look at this uh, comic book the uh, online here, the first page that they share is the cover, the slick glossy cover, but the next page is a black and white or a gray tone image on the top, and the bottom is all the production credits. Mm -hmm. What is that image we're looking at at That's the top? Her eye. That's her eye. Okay. But I don't know uh, from what we, page. Which way is she looking? Well, it looks like uh, she, she's inward. It, basically, the, the spine of the book would be the bridge of her nose. Okay, so that's that's to the right. So the big, large, round, black thing is is her iris, and we're seeing a reflection off from it. I mean, that's, it, it that's is what I'm assuming based on what the, my my initial look at that. But I have yet to find a panel in the book where I see that is derived from. Okay. To, um, if you've got the second issue there, is it exactly the same image for the the watermark in the next uh, issue and the next? In other words, yeah. is, yeah, is the issue is it changing from issue to issue, or is it just this is it? Because I don't know the significance or if there even is one. There is no difference that I can see in it. I mean. Because, you know, okay. when you sit there and you look at it long enough, it looks like one of your weather maps in black and white. I agree. The, cro the chroma color, yeah. Uh, Absolutely, I agree. That's a nasty we're, hook. We're too. zoomed in that tight. We're that, that, for those that don't have the book right in front of you, it is, we're zoomed in so close that you can't, can't recognize what you're looking at. And I thought maybe that was one of the points of the book, too that the, you don't have enough data to figure out what you're looking at. And I thought maybe the next issue we were going to get just to the right of this image where it was going to pull out just a little bit and it was going to start to resolve so you could see what was going on by the time we got to the end. But that was just my assumption. 
I don't have anything else uh, for for this book. If you guys want to wrap up the episode, I don't have anything else to share. Well, I was there's a couple points on the art that I wanted to to make. Obviously, you know, the watermark was a was an interesting point. I really find that the first couple pages are so incredibly detailed. You know, the driving on the street, and that's I can't tell what kind of car it is. I was looking at the model of that Christine was, which is the '58 Plymouth Fury, but it's not that. Um, no, it doesn't have wings like that. That that looks to me. I wonder if he drew that because that looks a lot like the Batmobile. It is similar to the, you know, the one of the Batmobiles that he drew, yeah. Um, the, I had no idea what it was. I just called it a Cadillac. I don't know yeah. if that was and right. It looks like, with those fans, it looks like a Cadillac. Yeah, but it's hard to say which one. Uh, I love the shot of his office and uh, when Sylvia comes in. And uh, I think Sylvia is definitely the most realized character in the book, though, even more than he is. He, yeah, he's more of a he's. I mean, a lot of this. I just I just thought of this was as you're reading this. It feels the way he's reading written this. It feels more like this is a screenplay than a comic. Mm-hmm. It feels almost like you could easily plop all this this plot down and make it into a kind of a screwball comedy kind of thing. Well, right, and a maybe detective, that's what it's going for a detective story or screwball yeah. detective story. Yeah, I agree yeah. completely. Yeah. Well, that's what I thought be, this was. Actually, yeah, so maybe now, now no. that I think about it, his character and her character, well, his character mostly reminds me of Denny DeVito and Twins before Arnold shows up. Yeah, he's that he's that kind of yeah, he's a he's any <laughs> sad sack uh opportunistic. Uh, right, you know, and she's, you know, you know, this is not really a spoiler, but we find out later that that Sylvia is in love with him because she's his girl Friday. You know, yeah. she stood by him. She's the one that probably runs everything. He's just this philanderer. Yeah, but it's obvious she's in love with him. Yeah, because the way he, you can tell the way she's when she her reactions to not only when he's kind of exploiting Babe, but just the uh, the reaction that you know that she's this you know giantess of a beautiful woman. And, and you know she's wondering why I want you paying that kind of attention to me, um, um, but yeah, my 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 big turn, and this is maybe one of Kirk's left turns, is okay. He he meets her on the road. He's like, it doesn't seem he seems more irritated than anything else. He just drops her off with the cops and say, hey, I don't know anything about her. You guys deal with her, and I'm going on to my life. Then suddenly, he reads that this uh, long shadow has grabbed her up, and he's he's enraged. But there was never any establishment of him wanting to make her a starlet or or have anything to do with her. He seemed to want to get his just wash his hands of her. And now suddenly he's upset that I wanted something there to kind of bridge that. Why is he uh, maybe yeah. some dialogue of he wanted to, hey, maybe you could be in the film. You know, maybe I can represent you or whatever, you know, something right. like that. He didn't he couldn't figure it out the night before. What about the newspaper headline on page six? Tall Mollocks. I, I, I guess that's Mollocks. Toll. Toll, toll mounts, mounts in airplane disaster. Toll what? Toll mount. Mounts. M-O-U-N-T-S. Okay. Mounts. In airplane disaster. That's the same airplane disaster that the... Yes. Right. Yeah, That at first I that was a throwaway, but looking at it and reviewing it, that's one of the breadcrumbs that, that he obviously lettered that so we could read it. And then they right. later on... They touch base and mention it again. It's going to become important. Yep. Yep. 
Now, what the other thing I found interesting was the lack of sound effects. Oh, that's right. Page 10 and 11, you know, she breaks through one wall, she breaks through the brick wall, and he doesn't have any scram, crack, scrunch, or anything like that. Yeah, I didn't think they were needed. I didn't miss them. And, and it's weird how her cleavage seems to go up and down as the pages <laughs> go on. Some pages are definite cheesecake, and other pages are, are very Snow White. Uh, <laughs> I, I never pick it up until Kirk said in his, in his summary that she's dressed kind of like Snow White. I didn't, I didn't, that didn't click with me when I was reading this the first time. It didn't me either. I was trying to think of some way, you know, some, something to get it across without belaboring the point. Yeah, she looks also a little bit like the Saint Polly girl. Yeah, I don't know who that is. Saint Polly. <laughs> Saint beer. Polliner. It's a beer. It's a beer. Um, Doesn't the, the father of the missing girl look like She-Hulk's father? Uh, you remember when we did that Christmas issue a while back, Tim? Yeah, but I don't. I don't. Every, every, everybody in here looks a little... Sylvia looks like she's based on somebody. Uh, Ralph looked to me, it, some, in certain scenes, looks a little bit like you, know, Ross Martin is, yeah. from Wild Wild West. I get that vibe from him. Hmm. Um... Sometimes he also looks like the kid from Next Men. The yes, Danny. Danny. The with, yeah. Yes. A shorter version of the cop from Wonder Woman. Yeah. But that's just uh, the, the typical John Byrne brown hair kind of guy. Um, but definitely got a, a little bit rougher features. And Sylvia reminds me of the main character from Hightown, who's more Puerto Rican. Yeah, I think she's she's supposed to be Hispanic. I think that's yeah. what he's getting across from the way he's drawing her hair, and she's got kind of that. She's got except she's got this long braid in the back, but her top of her hair looks a little bit like that Lois Lane look that he did for Superman. That kind of severe comb over. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know women's hairstyles. Um, and is she driving? Is that a Yugo that she's driving? Oh, I forgot about those. Does that look like a Yugo? Uh, it, it looks like. Um... Or a Plymouth Horizon, maybe? Yeah, Plymouth Horizon or a uh, Ford Fiesta. Yeah. But I think the Ford Fiestas were four doors. I could be wrong. I Is that a catch baby it. on board? Um, yeah, baby on board thing on it. Oh, those were real popular back in that day. Yeah. Uh, he's got the right time period back in the, well, reflecting it. The license plate saying Perez, I, I thought that was a reference to uh, the artist. Uh, that it, he was just doing a tip of the hat, and then someplace later on, I caught that that's her last name. Yeah, that is uh, that's last Sylvia's name. last name. Which why it's on the car, I'm not sure because my understanding is personalized license plates cost more, and I don't think she can afford it. <laughs> I, mean, I think it depends I, on the state. I know there's a lot of personalized plates here in Vegas, so I don't know if it's just. I know in Texas they're a little more expensive. Yeah, but I'll tell you, even if it was California in the in the 80s or 90s, she was not going to be able to get Perez 1. It'd be more like Perez 6,740. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you know, it, it, there was a point behind that, you know, that they're saying about her that at a time before now, she had different aspirations. Mm. And, you know, this is, of course, where she wound up. And she's accepted her lot in life. Yeah. As for, you know, we were talking kind of about the art, but as always, Burns' tech looks great. His architecture looks great. Uh, I don't know if that is really referenced to San Simeon. I know it's what it's supposed to be, but I don't know if that looks almost like, I don't know if he photo-referenced it or not. Which one are you um, talking about? The, 
Long oh. Shadow's house. It looks oh. like San Simeon here in, in California. Oh, okay. Which is what Xanadu was based on from Citizen Kane. Ah, I yeah. Uh, yeah, obviously Gideon has uh, wealth and power and he's got yeah. his own complex. Yeah. I thought that was the, the significance. But I thought Ralph got in there awfully easy and he got out of there awfully easy as well. So, yeah. Well, it's a long hike, too. I mean, look at the distance from the, having to hop over that fence. It looks like he's got yep. to run about a mile up to the house. Yep. Um, and they cover it in, a, in just a yeah. flash later on. Well, you know, she could have, you know, you know, possibly ran it quicker, I guess. But I think it's interesting. And Byrne does this a lot with with uh, Long Shadow. He does this. Everybody else is drawn realistically. He is drawn as He's more a of a caricature. caricature. Yeah. Yep. And Byrne will do that yep. sometimes. He does these elongated faces uh, of people that he wants to, you know, maybe it's just to make them more emphasize that they are more... Um, is there a bigger reveal on him? Does he turn out to be alien? Or? No. Well, he I, comes back, but he comes back, but uh, there's no. Isn't no? You're not right that he's not an alien, but he will be the villain of the piece. He is is an ongoing character through all four parts, or at least the last two. Yeah, I haven't. I need to read. I guess I have thumbed through the pages. I need to actually sit down and read them. I mean, he doesn't look um, anything like him, but for some reason, I get a John Waters vibe off of him. Yeah. Oh, I didn't get. Well, he looks in the in the the first time you see him, where he's looking down his little spy window. That way, he's got his hair uh, slicked back. He looks a little bit like um, Raza Raza Ghoul. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did either of you get a significance from the waterbed motel um, sign? That panel is large and somewhat detailed. I don't think there is any great significance except no, for a, it's an, obviously a large arrow saying, here's where we are. Look, they're hiding yeah. in here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I think Burns is having fun with the style of, and just by calling it the waterbed motel, it's kind of, that kind it of tells a lot you what of type cross. of... Right, it tells you what kind of hotel it is, and he's just yep. having fun with that style of. It's a very Vegasy style um, uh, sign, mm-hmm. and of course, it's got this huge, huge radar dish behind satellite it. Dish, yes. That's a satellite dish, but that looks like something NASA would put up. But I had. Well, they I, were that big in the beginning. They yeah. were that large. I used to have a nine-foot C-band satellite dish in my backyard. It was here when I bought the house. And uh, it just, uh, I mean, it was huge, and I could actually direct it to different satellites and such. So, uh, I mean, there were people that had those. There's still people that have them. Yeah, my knuckle had one. I've taken mine down since. Did you keep it? Did you keep the dish and make it into something? No, no, there's a metal scrap guy that comes by, and I work on a deal with him. You should use that dish for something. Tuesdays when I see them, (laughs) when I see them laying around or in people's yards... These days, they have like their favorite sports team painted inside the the dish, or you know, it's an ad for something. You know, I I don't see them often, but when I do see them, they've been converted over to be an ad for something. Yeah, my aunt and uncle had one, and we used to house it for them. And I always heard, oh, you can dial in. Uh, this was like in the '80s, so it was the height of my anime session. And I thought you could dial in Japanese TV, and I could never get it to work. I couldn't figure I, out I how to get, get it to anything. I mean, it just, it got so annoying. Um, but I also, it, you know, I, I would watch Monday Night Football on that 
because you wouldn't get the commercials. You would get um, the mic was still open in the in the announcer stand, and you basically see above shots of the stadium from like the Goodyear blimp. So you're getting like a raw feed or something. Yeah, and and it was funny because like the the first one I watched was uh, Dan Fouts, uh, Al Michaels, and Dennis Miller's very first. Uh, broadcast on Monday Night Football, that short-lived mm. season that he had there. Wow. And, <laughs> I mean, he said something so funny, but I can't really repeat it here. Because <laughs> uh, it was like um, they just finished the first series, and there was a real spectacular play. And Dan Fouts, and this is preseason, Dan Fouts says, Dennis, was that a Gallier moment? And Al Michaels says, <laughs> what's a Gallier moment? And Dennis Miller says, well, on my show on HBO, I can say pretty much whatever I want, but here I have to restrain myself. So if you ever hear me say Gallier, that's, ah, look what he did. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But uh, that's, yeah, golly. But well, that's specific, the yeah, well, to have. Yeah, and well, the, I mean, again, in later years, all you could get on it was porn, um, which, no. <laughs> <laughs> I want to stay married. So... Well, I think that's all I've got on uh, on the book. I mean, I, I, I really thought when I read this, I, I was to come on the show, I thought, I'm not going to be able to say anything because I really had nothing to say. But it's until somebody else starts talking about it, start, things start clicking in your head. And that's that's what's great about having more than one person on the show because you, you need somebody to feed off of. Well, we're talking about the aliens also that are shown on the last page. And, you know, what you were saying is that they're definitely derivative of the Mars Attacks type aliens. Or the 1950s. I've never seen the movies where they showed the giant brains in the helmets and all that, like like we see here, like we've seen. Which invaders from Mars? There's a there's a there's a brain in a dish. There's um, uh, I think I it's think just the the um, guys the the ones with the quatloos on Star Trek, but it's just that brains. yeah, Rice yeah. <laughs> that's Rice That's right, games. Just... Well, it's also similar to for you know since this kind of. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd read this this spun out of Danger Unlimited, but it didn't really. There aren't any characters in this that are in Danger Unlimited, are there? It's just in the same universe. Yeah, Danger Unlimited was, of course, you know John Burns' uh, non-Fantastic Four, Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. um, and he fell into the trap of of you know not knowing what to expect as far as the sales went, and so once he saw how the sales were going based on comic book shop pre-orders. Uh, he canceled the book after four issues. He should have done more uh, limited covers. They would have been forced to buy more. <laughs> and that, that, of course, was before, yeah, I mean, before you really saw that. But now, did Gary Cody do the painted covers for that, too? And Were they painted? He did. He did. And, of course, there's Torch of Liberty that was also a part of that. So in your book that you've got, you've got the trade. It's coming. What? Uh, Torch of Liberty is coming. In a couple of issues, there's a reference to him, very direct. Yeah, and I seem to have some memory somewhere reading something where the Torture of Liberty or somebody wakes up naked somewhere. Again, it's like like the babe thing. I think, well, I think that's how Danger Unlimited starts, but in that, there's a character that's basically kind of a MODOK. He's just a big brain in a robot yeah. suit. Uh, it's similar to this, so... Yeah, we'll have to cover uh, Danger Unlimited. I'd, I'd like to cover the all four issues at some point um, because I, I think it's really beautiful art, a good story. Um, 
and it's something that people just don't you know i mean it, it's definitely more fleshed out to me in those four issues and again i haven't read enough babe to sit there and say it is fleshed out enough but uh i really really liked it and i really like the aesthetics of it i guess yeah I, I like the artwork from what i read i just started getting getting into it but yeah um now uh to talk are, are we done with our conversation here on babe I think so. Uh, I think so, yeah. I'm, I think I'm done. To talk about what may be coming up, uh, and, and we're, we're, we're working this out right now with Scott Gardner, that uh, we may be discussing possibly Wheelie and the Chopper Bunch in an upcoming episode here. Uh, just got to get it scheduled out, and uh, we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Otherwise, I do have an idea I'd like to discuss with you guys offline for an upcoming episode I think that you'd like. Uh, did you guys have any thoughts about anything else we might be doing in the future? Uh, well, we, we talked about doing, because our fifth anniversary is coming up, about doing like a top five list. That's what uh, I had in mind. Okay. Uh, other than that, the only thing I, I would like to do uh, another issue of uh, his uh, Trek books, his photo novels. Mm-hmm. Dig one of those out and do one of, and uh, cover those, because I don't know if. I don't. Do you have those, Kirk, or do you? Have you read those? I know of them, but I don't think I have any of them. Uh, I like the idea, and I'd love to be able to see one. So yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, putting that in the schedule. Yeah, they're a little, they're interesting because it's all you don't really talk about the artwork; just more story and how he's pulled images. So because um, I mean, he's George Lucasing the images. He, he's yeah, not just taking just photoshopping them there. He is, you know, taking characters, changing poses, changing faces, um, so that he can create the story that he wants to. Has he done all of them now? He's he was doing what, 22, 23 of them, or something? Twenty-two issues plus the um, special, which the special was a reproduction of um, where no man has gone before. So he's completed it. Yeah, he plans on coming. I think he said he'd like to come back to him, but right now he's just taking a break. Yeah, he'd like do like a movie special, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's yeah. some there's some there's some good ones in there. We'll have to do, kind of look through and see what uh, what we're gonna do. But I think the top five is a good um, fifth anniversary. Uh, yeah, and that's yeah. coming up. What the twenty twenty sixth? What is it? It's yeah, this it's month. Like, so yeah, it's this month. So maybe that could be our next show. We could do uh, just you know top five something whatever we're going to talk about and then everybody kind of um go through their top five you know we've done what i'll tell you what my thought is and you guys tell me what you think um i was thinking top five inkers for john Byrne, and then as a subcategory the bottom two inkers and that is the two inkers you definitely don't want inking john Byrne. and i'm typically not as motivated to go into the negative but I think that there's some good discussion to be made there because as we're finding out art is subjective and everybody's going to have their own opinions and I know there's some people that have anchors that they love that I, you know, on Burn that I can't stand and uh, I think it'd be an interesting discussion so that's, that's my thought what do you guys think? I'm not sure that I'm well enough averse to, to, to rank order a top five but I agree there are a couple of inkers who I think did a fine job, and I'd be willing to mention them. But yeah. 
Well, I just, the I just, thing is, whenever we do these top five, the, the typical phrase that we end up throwing in there is in no particular order. So it's not mm-hmm. like we're going to say this guy is the best one. Everybody's going to say Terry Austin. But, I mean, the thing is, when you say no particular order, that means you can sit there and list all five of them out with having to say this one's the best. So Yeah, I mean, I'm just, just wondering if there's enough of it. Like. There's enough of it for a show there because there's obviously there's going to be one or two that everybody's going to mention. Um, maybe I'm 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 with Kurt. I'd have to do a little research to see kind of and think about what I would uh, you know what I th- other than Austin and you know I like Palmer on his work too. Um, other than uh, see, a um, lot of people really hate Palmer on his work. A lot of people. Hmm. Uh, again, you remember the discussion we had on Starbrand. Yeah. And and just, you know, and I think, Kirk, you mentioned that last week when you read Starbrand. It was like, what the hell is this? Is that was that you? I don't think so. No, someone, I, had, you know, was like, what the hell is this? This does not look like John Bernard. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's again, you know, it, it, appreciation of art is is, you know, everybody's. It, everybody's got their own opinion yeah. on it, and yeah, uh, I mean, again, I think it brings up good discussion because I know there's there's one inker that uh, most people really really love that I just don't care for seeing him inking burn art, and uh, but we'll hold off on that that subject for you know either next week. Or well, everybody, let, let, let's everybody think about it and just kind of in our instant message, everybody kind of throw out ideas. Maybe we'll yeah. maybe something because I can't come up with anything off the top of my head right now. But how about a top five? Third degree burn episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then we'll post That'll... them in order on our page. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, uh, again, we'll, we'll take the discussion up offline and uh, figure that out. But uh, that's everything I've got for right now. Yeah, okay. I, think, I think we covered this pretty thoroughly. I, uh, I thought this was going to be a, a short show because I didn't think I had enough to talk about, but it just shows when you get together, you know, you can always uh, find something to discuss. Mm-hmm. And I'll and, go ahead and put a link to Mike Carlisle's blog again okay. uh, there so that uh, people can reference that if they want to. Yeah. And I want to I thank Kurt for staying up late and writing that synopsis. That was, yes. uh, I thought it was very well written. Yes. Thank mm. you very much. Labor of love. I, I yeah. wish I'd gotten a couple of uh, the finer points right, like the uh, the model of the car or, uh, anyways, uh, Fredericks of Hollywood. It wasn't Victoria's Secret. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, Fredericks I, I of Hollywood. I couldn't come up exactly with the right. name. But uh, I, I think we covered this pretty well. Uh, oh, yeah. I hope oh, that yeah. people will take a look at it. You'll either love it or hate it. But I do think we should should revisit the four-part series at some point down the road after everybody's read all four parts. And, and you know, maybe the, the opinion will change. Maybe it won't. But I'd like to revisit this someplace okay. down the road. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. All right. Well, Tim, do you want to take us out? Sure. Okay, uh, well, I want to thank everybody for, uh, if you're listening to this, for downloading uh, and listening to our discussion of, of Bay Number One. I want to thank Kurt again for his uh, wonderful synopsis. I want to thank Brian for, you know, being Brian. Uh, so Did you for. Just call uh, Kurt or Kirk? I think I call you Kirk, but I think sometimes Kurt slips out, so I apologize for that, Kirk. That's okay. I wasn't going to call you on it. I will, I will, I will do try to do better in, in the future. I think it just naturally uh, uh, it slips out. So my apologies. It's, um, Captain just Kirk. remember, Captain. Yeah, Captain Kirk. 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 I know that's Kirk. what it is, but that's a last name, so I think it's my. Feel free to call me Tom. So. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. And me, Brian. All right. So for third degree burn, I'm Tom Elliott. I'm Kirk Greenfield. And I'm Brian Hughes, or Brian Hughes.
Brain Hughes. Okay. Brain Hughes. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> you know the landlord rang my front doorbell. I let him ring for a long, long spell. I went to the window and peeped through the blind and asked him to tell me what was on his mind. He said, but honey, yes, Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and it's part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but really helps support the shows. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. All right, I'll be mayor. (laughs) 